All right, at this point, I'm going to excuse you, and I'm going to call Mr. Rice up, Mr. Larry Rice from Redwood Glen. And uh, Larry's going to talk a little bit. We're going to let the pulpit come in here. I like sitting on these seats. These guys look so cool doing that. But uh, Larry's going to talk a little bit about Redwood Glen, but then he's going to be sharing the message with us today. So, Larry, the stage is yours. All of it. Thank you. Uh, Just to bring you up to date on Redwood Glen, last time I was here, uh, we were searching for water. I gave you names of people to pray for and everything. Keep praying for those same people because nothing has happened in the last three weeks or about a month and a half since I've been here. And it gets frustrating because we're still waiting on our uh, contractor to give us the bid so we can work on the loan. We're still waiting on the county to be able to finish the environmental review. We're still waiting on the county parks department to be able to finish the contract so we can get water back from Memorial Park. But everything is moving in the right direction, and we are excited about that. And we've got our 60th anniversary coming up. We're going to be celebrating July 14th, so you can mark that in your calendars. We're going to be celebrating July 14th and having a big party that Saturday. So uh, plan on being here for that. And what I'd like to do is, if you can, if if you'd like to give to Redwood Glen, because we're trying to get people to give and and be able to help, help us out with that, and Santa Clara First Baptist has been great in doing Doing that for us. You have been one of the uh, leading churches in that. But if you'd like to be able to give and uh, help us out with that, if you would take out your phones and just text the word give to that phone number, okay? Now, you're not going to be paying anything, but just go ahead and try that. Go ahead and take out your phones. We've also got the app for the, for the sermon today. You can you, you'll be able to use that. But if you'll just text the word give, and then after you get it set up, you can put in your, your um, and you can do it during the sermon if you'd like, uh, this week, not next week, uh, but the, if you'd like to do it during, during the sermon, is to be able to put in your credit card information, and you can give to Redwood Glen that way. Okay, so text the word give to that phone number and you'll be able to handle handle out with that. But uh, we are excited again. Our 60th anniversary is coming up July 14th and uh, we're being ready for that. I am very thankful for Pastor Valui that he's sharing his pulpit with me this morning. And and thank you very much on that. Um, I asked him how long I get to preach, and he says, just finish before the game starts, and I'm going, the 49ers haven't started yet this season, so we've got to figure out what, uh, what, sorry. Now, I've heard the 49ers are moving to the Philippines. They've become the Manila folders. So, anyway. Uh, okay, yeah, old joke. Oh, I am a 49er faithful. I was a John Brody fan way back in the 70s. So, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm uh, waiting for better days. I would like to introduce my uh, wife of 40 years, 4 months, 18 days, 15 hours, and 54 minutes that we have been married, and she is just as beautiful today as she was that day that we got married. The first time I was here in this building, I I remember it well because it was my mom's 51st birthday. It was October 21st, 1973. I was at the Church of the Foothills over in the east side of San Jose, and I had a children's choir. So as you were talking about the children here, I had a children's choir that I was directing. We came here and did It's Cool in the Furnace. And Pastor Owen Miller just loved us. So it uh, goes back to a lot of it. I would like to talk today about earthquakes. Uh, That's uh, just, I guess, to be on being in California here. We have the earthquakes. How many, how many of you woke up when the Napa earthquake hit a year ago in August? Any of you felt that one? 
How many of you remember feeling the Loma Prieta earthquake? Yes, okay, we remember that one. Anybody remember the uh, 1906 earthquake? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> My earthquake, the, and, and we all have our stories. In other words, where I was at, what I was doing, and you know the exact moment of that. And we all have our stories as to what we were doing during that time. Or stories about the earthquake. Now, my earthquake was the Kalinga earthquake, uh, which is down in the Central Valley, 1983, because I started preaching at a church called Avenel, 12 miles south of Kalinga, the day before the earthquake. It was 12 miles south of Klinga. It was three miles north before the earthquake. And, and what happened is, you know, I had all of those stories of everybody in my church was telling me where they were at and what they were doing. You know, one, one lady was in the car getting the kids in the car, and she was telling her husband to get the car fixed because it was making this funny noise. And then all of a sudden, the earthquake hit, and she thought it was going to blow up. She threw the kids out of the car and got them all on the grass. I had one gentleman who weighed 300 pounds, worked as a, a contractor, was under a house doing some plumbing when the earthquake hit. You talk about a come-to-Jesus moment that he was having. You know, it was that kind of a thing. But I was there in Avenel, and, and it was that kind of a, of a you know, the, the, those kinds of stories that we had. I tried to take credit for that earthquake. Uh, you know, day after you preach, earth-moving sermon, those kinds of things. It didn't quite work out. But today's scripture, I want to add the earthquake part. In fact, I'd like you to help me out with this because it talks about storms and we have storms here and this past winter was a heavy one that we had and all that, but we're here in earthquake country. And so when it comes to that part, what I'd like you to do is to help me to be able to say, we're having time for another earthquake, is to be able to help me say, whoops, let me come up to this point here, and the earth shook a mighty shake. Can you say that for me? And the earth shook a mighty shake. Okay. Now, let's add some sound effects. Can you, can you uh, stomp your feet while you're doing it? Yeah, okay, we got it here. Ready? Let's try it again. Ready? And the earth shook a mighty shake. Oh, almost feel like we're at camp now, doesn't it? Yes. Okay, one last time, but this time kind of shake a little bit as if, you know, you're going through an earthquake. Ready? And the earth shook a mighty shake. Oh, I need a video of this. <laughs> okay, let me, read, let me read the scripture, and when we get to that part, I'd like you to re- read that and say that with me, okay? Because I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has finished everything that he said. You have heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. And then he says at the very end, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and the earth shook a mighty shake. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and the earth shook a mighty shake, and it fell with a great crash. I love how Jesus said, and it fell with a great crash. When you take parables like this, you look for usually a turning point in the story. Like the prodigal son who decided to take everything he had and left 
and had that turning point and came back. And so we, we see, you know, the, the, the woman who lost her coin. She went sweeping through the house and found the coin and rejoiced. There's that turning point in the parable. But when you get a parable like this, where you have two different stories, you place them side by side. It's like the, the, man, or the person who gave three talents or three different people talents. One had five talents, one had two talents, one had one talent. And, the, you know, you place them side by side. And so when you do things like that, when you look at this parable, you compare, first of all, the similarities. What's the same thing between the two or the three stories? And then you look at the differences. What's the difference between them? By the way, the application, if you want to follow along, has these, and, and I'm used to, you know, you writing in. Um, yours doesn't, applications doesn't have that ability. So if you want to, you can take out your pen and write it on the tablet there, or use a pen knife if you need to, if that doesn't work. But you need to compare the similarities and the differences. The similarities here in this, in this story is, number one, that each person is building a house. Okay? Each person builds a house, and then each house faces a storm or an earthquake. And we'll get into all of this a little bit later. And then the differences are the foundations, the one built on the rock stands firm, and the one built on the sand falls with a mighty crash. Now, this is a story, if you've attended church all your life like I did, you learned the song, The wise man built his house upon the rock, rain came dumbly down, all of that, because we understand that, and we, we get the idea of what that is. So I want to be able to take that and touch a little bit on all four. First of all, to, to be able to say the similarities, everyone builds a house. Now, that is not up for you know, variation. It's not up for grabs. It's the decisions we make. It's the philosophies we adopt. It's the values we take. The relationships we make. It's the careers we choose. It's not a variable. It's not a choice. Everyone builds a house. Now, some of us think, you know, well, my house, my life doesn't mean anything, so it's nothing there. We do nothing we don't care. We give up planning or we stop thinking or we feel like we're not building anything. If you've ever watched the uh, musical Wicked, it's the story of the Wizard of Oz before all of these people become the Tin Woodman and the Scarecrow and the Lion. Well, the person who becomes the Scarecrow is brainless, okay? And he sings a song, dancing through life, skimming the surface, gliding where turf is smooth. Life's more painless for the brainless, so why think too hard when it's so soothing? Dancing through life, no need to tough it when you can slough it off as I do. Nothing really matters, but knowing that nothing matters, it's just life, so keep dancing through. It's like, you know, if that all there is, bring out the booze and have a ball. You know, if that's all there is. It's to be able to say, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, so I, I'm not doing, but it's, it's, you know, I'm not building a house. I'm just skimming along. I'm just homeless. The sad thing is, you can see the house that that person is building. The non-decisions become the decisions. This non-house becomes a house. Three years ago, today in fact, my dad had to have surgery to put a tube in his stomach and be fed that way. And after the surgery was over with and he was at home, he was going through a little bit of a depression. 
And I asked him about that, and he says, I'm just sitting here waiting to die. We celebrated his 93rd birthday last week. So, you know, he's, still, he's going, going back and going strong. In fact, my mom celebrated her 95th, and they're celebrating 71 years together. So it's, uh, they're, they're st- we're still trying, and they still want to ha- host uh, Thanksgiving at their place. But, you know, it's that kind of a thing as to say my dad was at that point of saying, hey, my, you know, my house is done. I'm through building. I don't need to do any more. But that's not up for grabs. We all build a house. Your house is who you are. The second similarity that we have in that is that every house faces a storm or an earthquake. We all face those storms. Sometimes they feel like typhoons, tsunamis, earthquakes 9.0, whatever. But this is not a parable about avoiding the storms. It's about, or finding safe climate. It's a parable about building houses that will survive those storms. It's a point, you know, point number one is a parable about avoiding storms. It's a parable about building houses that will face those storms. In other words, our, part of our American theology is, you know, God's going to give you the desires of your heart. He's going to give you everything so you can just go gliding through life so that everything will be fine and everything will be hunky-dory. Sharon and I lived in Foster City for a number of years, and it was interesting being there because when the Loma Prieta earthquake hit, you know, its epicenter was down there south of us, and part of San Francisco had some damage where fires went and broke out and everything. And because part of the problem was those homes in San Francisco was built on landfill, and the land just kind of collapsed underneath and everything tilted and the pipes broke and the fire, you know, the gas lines broke and the, and the fires broke out. But if you draw a straight line from that epicenter to where those homes are in San Francisco, you go right through Foster City, which is also built on landfill. But they didn't have any damage. It's because those homes built 40 years after the homes in San Francisco were built, but it was built to be able to withstand earthquakes of that magnitude. In fact, if you go to see the lagoons and the nice lagoons that they have there and the waterways all put out through Foster City, those are not just aesthetic values. Those are to help pack the earth and keep the weight concentrated on the packed earth so that it would be able to withstand earthquakes. So it's quite interesting to see that and be able to say, you know, everyone says, oh, I'd never live in Foster City because of, you know, landfill. Yeah, it's okay. But we try to avoid those storms rather than face them. Remember the parable in Matthew chapter 13. The owner plants wheat and it starts to grow, but discovers that an enemy has planted weeds. And the hired hands come up to him and says, shall we pull the weeds? And he says, no, let them grow together because we may, pl- you know, may pick some of the, of the wheat while we're picking the weeds. And we don't like that because we're saying, I, you know, we we'll let them grow. We, we don't want to do that. We're shocked. We don't want to raise our children where there are weeds. We don't want to raise our children where there are storms. My mom and dad were products of the Great Depression. They grew up during that time. And I remember them telling me over and over, we're doing this so that you won't have to go through what I've gone through. But that's okay. I may need to do that. I may need to face that storm. I remember one couple that kept saying, "Ah, we never argued in front of the kids. The kids never heard us argue. We always took that into the bedroom. Trouble is, when the kids grew up, 
they never learned how to argue. And so when they got married and got into disagreements with their spouse, they were at lost because they never had that storm to figure out, to figure out how they're doing it. So, you know, it, 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 each house is facing that storm. It's interesting, Mark chapter 6, where the disciples are in the boat rowing across and Jesus comes walking out on the water. Mark tells us that he's about to pass them by. It's almost like to encourage them, say, hi guys, see you at the other end. And they're struggling at the oars and they think it's a ghost and they scream in terror and all of that and Jesus calms the water. But it's interesting where Mark says he's about to pass them by. He's letting them face the storm and it's okay because they weren't seeking, sinking, they were doing okay. So we all face those storms and we just need to be prepared for them. Now let's look at the differences. The differences between foundations on the rock and the sand and the results, the sand and it crashes. I was a student at San Jose State in the early 1970s and after the Northridge earthquake down in Southern California in 1971, they looked at every building there at San Jose State and they discovered the science building, interestingly enough, science building was not earthquake proof. In fact, it didn't even have a foundation. It was just built there on the ground. They evacuated everybody almost immediately. They cordoned it off and everything. Then they went in to, you know, tear it down, get ready to tear it down, and they realized that it was built straight into the rock that was there. That it was, you know, a big ground of, I think, I don't know what kind of rock it was. But they realized that it was stronger there than any other building there on campus because it was built straight down into the rock. They didn't need a foundation because they already had that foundation there. Whereas during this past winter, if you tried to drive to Camp Redwood Glen, it, you'd find many trees toppled over. Many, many of the roads kind of crumbled underneath, and you have to go through you know, one-way traffic because the ground underneath got so wet that it just became pliable and just felt, you know, trees were falling across the roads, and roads came apart and everything. Rock does not change its form. It's strong, its form, its strength. Sand is pliable. It's not strong at all. So what is Jesus saying here in this parable? Clues in verses 24 and 26. He who hears these words of mine and either does or does not put them into practice. In other words, Jesus is coming out point blank and saying, I am that rock. I am the truth. I am faithful. I am the way. I am life. You do what I tell you, and the house you build will stand if you put what I say into practice. I used to give piano lessons when I was in college, and I would, it was a perfect ideal setup because I'd go to that person's house. Usually it was kids from the church, and I'd make them a whole two bucks a lesson. But I'd you know, give the lesson, and then they would invite me for dinner because I was right there at dinner time. It was after school, before, and everything. It worked out great. I had four meals planned out Monday through Thursday. Different house each night. It, it, uh, it was great. I loved it. But I would start each lesson, I would come in, sit down, I'd play a little bit on the piano. And if I noticed that the keys were dusty, I would turn and look and i say, you didn't practice very much this week, did you? And their eyes would get big and all of that. And Jesus says, put it into practice. 
In other words, he's doing more than just saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, do what I tell you to do. Put it into practice. So as a result, Jesus is making point number two here. If you don't choose to trust Jesus' faithfulness as the starting point for your life, what do you propose to build your life upon? Jesus is saying, if you're not going to choose me, what is it you're planning to do? Your good looks? Your career? The inheritance you get from your folks? What is it that you plan to build your life on? We build our house and we can say, yeah, it's easy to say. I believe in Jesus. How do I do that? Follow the Ten Commandments? I do that. I do not murder, do not steal, commit adultery, do not lie very much. And, you know, and, and I exaggerate. But I don't lie. And we get, but on the Sermon on the Mountain, what Jesus is saying, everything up to this point, everything he's saying is, you've heard, you know, do not kill. But if you're just angry with somebody, you're just as guilty. You call someone a fool, it's just as guilty. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but guys, you just look at her that way, the sin is just as bad. You, do, you know, do not steal. You just even think about doing it. And it's just as guilty. And so we're saying, you know, what do I do? How do I handle that? And then Jesus comes in and says all of that, and he says, you ask, and you shall receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door is going to be open for you. In other words, I am there to help you. I'm there to give you, to, to, to help you out with all of that. Ask and you will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive. The one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, are you going to give him a snake? Or if he asks for a fish, are you going to give him, give him a stone or a snake? Excuse me. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, I love that phrase, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In other words, what Jesus is saying is building your house on your se- by yourself, on your own, it ain't going to work because it's going to crumble. Let me help you do that, to be able to go through that. And when we're building our house, it becomes a continuous, ongoing relationship of our lives with Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to take it a step further, which is not in our our scripture today, but to be able to say you don't want to build it just on a foundation, but you have to secure it to the foundation. Back to that Kalinga earthquake that I was a part of. The First Baptist Church of Kalinga was completely destroyed in that earthquake. One great hour of sharing, they called us to say, if we had any damage here at Avenal, and I said, well, we have a picture of Jesus on the side of the sanctuary, and it tilted a little bit, but I was able to fix it real easy, no problem. But what had happened is the church at Kalinga First Baptist was built on a foundation, but it was not secured to the foundation. It was just placed on the foundation. And so when the earth shook, it just kind of rocked off and dropped. Same thing with the church parsonage across the street. It just rocked off and dropped. 
And all the plumbing stayed the same. I walked through the I walked through the house and uh, went after the you know stepped in the front and you felt the you know the building was right here. And as you walked towards the back, you just felt the whole building kind of teeter totter back towards the other side. Got back to the back bathroom. The toilet was sitting up here because the house dropped down. All the plumbing stayed the same, so it gave new meaning to sitting on the throne, I guess. But that's what they found is that with that Kalinga earthquake is they found that many of those homes that were destroyed were put on a foundation. Those were built up in the hills and put on four-by-four posts. When they moved it down into the town, they just set it on top of a foundation. But that was it. That's all that they did. And we've learned since then that we need to be able to secure your buildings to the foundation. So our lives need to be built, not only built on but bolted down to that foundation. In other words, again, it's more than just, I believe in Jesus, but I've got to be, have that relationship with him, that day-to-day relationship, that walk with him, that talk with him, to be able to know that I am his and he is mine. It's a living relationship that can weather any storm and stand through any earthquake. Do you know where the safest place to be in a 9.0 earthquake, if you have to be in or on a human structure in the Bay Area, during a 9.0 earthquake. The clue is on the front of your bulletin, right smack dab in the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge. Because every bolt, every wire, every speckle of paint is tied to those cables and tied to the piers, and those piers are embedded into the bedrock down below underneath the bay. And they feel safe and they trust that bedrock, even though the southern pier runs right on top of the San Andreas Fault. But it can withstand a 9.0 earthquake. Now, they've only had to close it three times, and all three times is because of wind and that they're afraid the trucks were going to blow over. And that middle span can sway 22 feet without any damage because that's the way it was built but that's because all their, everything that you know is tied to those cables are tied to those two piers that are secured into the bedrock they're not secured to the redwood trees up in Marin County they're not secured to the Transamerica building they're not secured to Apple headquarters that's being built down here you know in this area but it's built into the solid bedrock. And so that's what Jesus is saying, is that I am that rock. This parable is about finding a foundation to build your life upon. If you're dancing through life right now, just skimming the surface, gliding where the turf is smooth, if your life is falling apart because the storms and the shaking are making your house fall apart... What Jesus is saying is, you can start over again. Do you remember that movie or the TV show, um, you know, ABC's Makeover, Home Makeover, where they would come, you know, they'd take a family that has a house that just doesn't work with their situation, and they take them, they send them down to Disneyland or Disney World for the week, and they come in and they take the house and they just rebuild it all completely. 
And they bring the family back, and they're hiding behind the bus, and they can't see the house. And you know, you hear everybody cheering them on, and you know, chanting, "Move that bus, move that bus!" And you see the bus move away, and all of a sudden, they see their house the way it was meant to be at the very beginning. And they can, you know, they just scream and joy, and they go walking through the house, saying, "Oh, I can't believe how you know bad it looked from you know before and the after pictures and all of that." That's what Jesus wants to do with your life to be able to say, to withstand all of the shaking, to be able to face those earthquakes, to face those storms, Jesus can make your life new. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable here. Now you've got three options in who Jesus is. Either he is who he says he is, he's lying through his teeth, or he's a little crazy in the head. But you've got one of those three options. He's either Lord, liar, or a lunatic. Which one is it? Let's pray together. Our Father God, we come to worship you. And we come to worship Jesus. And we do worship you, but we face those storms and they seem to be overwhelming at times. And we don't know how to handle it, don't know how to, how to prepare for it. We don't know what to do. But help us to look to you in all that we do, in whatever we need to be able to know that not only that you are our God, but that you, ha- you have us there, that you are with us, that you care for us, that you love us, and that as we face those storms, we can know that you will be by our side each step of the way. Lord, if we're not facing a storm right now, help us to build that house. If we're facing that storm, help us to know and see you. As the earth is moving beneath us, help us to feel your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.